Welcome to The Crossing. So good to see you today. Glad you made it out. And would you do me a favor? Would you help me give a big welcome to our Southeast campus? Those who are watching online, our microsites, glad that you are part of The Crossing family and you're part of what God is doing here. Well, next week we start a brand new series called Running with the Giants. Now, this is a series that we have been planning for over a year. And here's the idea, is that all of us are running a race. Well, what if Moses and Abraham and Rahab could come out of the stands and just run a lap with you? What would they say to you to help you run the race that God has for you? And in addition to that, we're going to be doing some pretty cool things throughout this series, highlighting some great things. Next week is Father's Day, and we are doing Donuts with Dads. So we have donuts for everybody who's coming next week. And so bring a friend, bring your dad, bring your kids, come and be a part of that. We're going to have a great time. But today, we are concluding our series that we've been calling Spent, Taming the Money Monster. What's true about almost everybody in this room is we have financial pressure. In fact, three out of four of us say that money is our number one worry and our number one stress. So, I mean, just count them out on your road, three out of four, it's your number one stress. Now, the one out of four of you where money is not your number one stress The rest of us wish you would just worry about it just a little bit more. I mean, just a little bit more because we face these things. We have fear. We we fight about money. And so we decided to do something about that with this series. And we've been looking at these steps to financial freedom. And here's what's been so encouraging is so many of you have been taking these practical steps to financial freedom because when you get God involved in your financial picture, it changes things. Well, let me give you a recap of where we've been in this series. If you missed a week, you can go online, you can watch any of those messages online, but we started out in week one and we talked about the attitude that it all belongs to God, that we are not owners, we are only managers. An owner says, it's my money, I can do whatever I want with it. A manager says, it's God's money, what does he want me to do with it? And so if it all belongs to God then we are accountable for how we manage it. Week two, Scott Whaley did a great job of talking about the bondage of debt. Now, the reason that I asked Scott to do that message is I wanted you to hear his story. That when the recession hit, he and his wife found themselves $125,000 in debt. And through biblical principles and through what they learned through Financial Peace University and through years of hard work, they were able to pay that debt off. But what we learned is that ultimately, debt is not a financial issue, it is a spiritual issue. And then last week, Lee did a great job of challenging us with this idea of putting margin in our life. Because there is a big difference between your standard of living and your quality of life. And many times we raise our standard of living, we buy a a newer car, a bigger house, nicer clothes, but our quality of life goes down. And margin is what gives us that sense of peace in our life. And so today, today, we've come to the final part of this series. And financial freedom always begins with a decision. And today, I want to tell you about the single most important and strategic financial decision that I have ever made. 
It's the, the most important decision that I've ever made. Well, I've made a number of important financial decisions. Darla and I got married when we were very young. I was 19 years old when we got married. And while neither of us had any debt when we got married, we were both in college, and I made $125 a week on a part-time youth ministry that I did on the weekends. But there was just the two of us, and so we picked up odd jobs, and we were able to make it. But then my junior year in college, when we'd been married a year, we found out that she was pregnant. We're like, oh, no. What are we going to do? Maybe some of you have been in some of those oh, no's before. Well, we worked hard. We made it through. And I accepted my first full-time youth ministry in St. Louis, and I made $19,000 a year. And while Dave Ramsey would call me the nerd and he would call Darla the free spirit, that with a family to support and a mortgage to pay, it took diligence and creativity to make it work on $19,000 a year. The two of us actually, we went out and we delivered phone books together and we did all kinds of stuff just to make ends meet. And we became this team that worked together. But that was not the most important financial decision. Another important decision that we made was not to ruin our kids with money. All of our kids grow up in affluence. That they don't know that they have it better than 95% of the people in the world. They don't know what it's like to live in poverty. They don't know what it's like to, to go hungry. And too much too soon can ruin our kids. So we just decided that we weren't going to do that. We just decided that, that they were going to need to make their own money and give their own money and save their own money. And we helped them with college and we helped them with their first car. But they had to do it on their own. They had to learn to begin to do it on their own. And choosing not to ruin our kids with money was an important financial decision for us. But it's not the most important financial decision. When Darla and I got married, because I didn't make very much, because we didn't make very much, we had some important decisions to make of how we are going to live. And we decided that we were never going to charge anything on the credit card that we couldn't pay off when the bill came due at the end of the month. And to the best of my memory, we have never paid a dollar in credit card interest. But when we had two kids and we were expecting our third, we decided it was time to trade in the car with the sunroof for a minivan. Maybe you've come to that point in your life. It's always a sad moment when you come to that point in your life. But we scraped together and we saved and we paid cash for a base model Dodge minivan. And I remember one of my friends saying, I just like to drive nice cars. I was so offended. I'm like, do you think I don't like to drive nice cars? I mean, do you think a, a minivan is my dream car? Really? Is that what you think? But a paid-for minivan was far better than a leased sports car. And out of all of those decisions have been very important financial decisions in our life, but they were not the most important and strategic financial decisions we've ever made. But before I tell you what that decision is. I want to share with you a story out of the life of Jesus. Because this story in the life of Jesus will help underscore why I believe that this is the most important financial decision. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 12. And let me give you a little bit of background of what's going on here in this story right here. I want to set the scene for you to give you context for what's going on. Jesus has entered Jerusalem for the last time, he is days away from being crucified. And Jesus goes to the temple, and while he's there, he gathers his disciples together, and he says, guys, I want you to come with me 
because I want to show you something. And they go to an area of the temple known as the temple treasury. It was this outdoor colonnade where there would be all of these columns, and this is where people would bring their offerings to the temple. This is where they would bring their gifts to God. They had 13 copper vases that maybe looked something like this. And these 13 vases, they would be all against one area of the temple treasury, all against one area of the colonnade. And Jesus and his disciples were on the other side. And they're watching all of these things take place. They're they're watching people as they come and give. And Jesus wants to teach them something. And here's the context of our story. So in Mark chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched. Now this word watched means that they looked intently. They watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. So Jesus gathers his disciples. And as he's, he's gathering disciples, they are on the other side and they're watching all of this take place. And Jesus says to his disciples, there's something that I want you to learn. I want you to watch what's going on. Now, now notice it said that many rich people were throwing in large amounts. Well, how did they know that? I mean, did they walk up to people and say, hey, how much did you put in? You know, was it a lot? Well, in that day, there was no paper currency. Everything was, was coins. And so they had several different coins. They had gold coins and silver coins and bronze coins and copper coins. A, a gold coin was worth about $350 in today's money. A silver coin, they called that a denarius. A denarius was worth one day's wage. And so the people were bringing their gifts. And they were giving large gifts because this is the Passover. The Passover was, was the biggest feast of the year. And so hundreds of thousands of people are coming into Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people are coming into Jerusalem. And the disciples are watching and listening to this. And when people gave in these big copper Um, vases that they had, it sounded something like this. You could hear it. You could tell by the size of the coin the amount that they were giving because you could tell the weight of it. If somebody gave $500, it sounded something like this. If somebody gave $5,000, it sounded something like this. If somebody gave $10,000, it would just sound like this. And so they could hear this going on. And they could see all of these people that they they were giving their money, and they were bringing their money into the temple treasury. So I want you to kind of picture yourself that you're there at that moment, that you're hanging out with the disciples, that you're just against the wall. You're watching all of these people bring in their gifts What for you would be a large amount of money? What would be an amount that would be really generous? Think about what that would be for you. Would it be $500, $1,000? Would that be generous? Would you go, man, that was an extravagant gift? $10,000. And I think all of us would agree, well, $10,000, I mean, that is a generous gift. 
What is the amount that would make your eyes get big and go, whoa, that is impressive? And about that time, somebody comes in from the back of the temple treasury and says, okay, excuse me, excuse me, I got this heavy bag. You're going to have to make way for me. Okay, I mean, this is really heavy. You're going to kind of have to get out of my way because in in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said that some people like to make a show out of their giving. And so they wanted everybody to see what they're doing. So this guy's like, okay, excuse me, excuse me. I, I need to make it up to the front because I've got this large bag here. And then he begins to pour it. And, of course, he's going to pour it kind of slow because this is, this is the show that he's after. And he begins to pour it, and it just keeps going and going. And uh, everybody is watching it, and they're kind of stunned. Because he has the attention of everybody, and they go, man, that, that's like $200,000. That's like $200,000. And you look at your buddies, you look at the disciples, because you're hanging out with the disciples, and you're like, okay, that was impressive. Right there. I mean, did you see that? I mean, you're kind of nudging. And you look over at Jesus, because you want to see Jesus' reaction. Because this is the biggest gift you've ever seen. And you want to see how Jesus is reacting to this gift. And Jesus isn't even paying attention. Jesus is watching a raggedy-looking woman. We're going to pick up the story, verse 42. It says, But a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, here comes this poor woman. She has hardly anything, and so she walks over. She humbly comes, and she takes her two copper coins and drops them in. See, these copper coins were, the, were worth about a quarter of a penny. It was the least amount that you could actually give. Now, when I was in Israel this past year, I actually bought one of these. This is, this is called a copper mite. We called a widow's mite. And, uh, and I wanted to buy one of those. That That is the actual coin that she put in. I mean, that's not the actual one that she put in. I mean, it might be. But, but that is the widow's mite right there. This is the copper mite. It's worth a quarter of a penny. She puts it in, and maybe people are watching this, and they're kind of sneering. They're kind of sneering and going, I mean, why even bother? I mean, what's the big deal? But Jesus uses this to teach his disciples something about generosity. Jesus uses this moment right here to teach them something. Verse 43, he says, calling his disciples to him. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put, look at this, more into the treasury than all the others. She has put in more into the treasury. Now, Matthew was a tax collector, and he was pretty good with money. And so maybe Matthew raises his hand at this point and says, excuse me, Lord, I don't know if you know, I'm a CPA. And I'm into advanced math. I've done a lot of this. And I don't want to criticize you because I know how you get when the Pharisees criticize you. But the lady who gave the two copper coins actually gave less than anyone else. I, mean, I don't mean to correct you, Jesus, but I, I mean, I, I know money. And she gave less. But Jesus redefines what generosity looks like. Jesus said 
They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. See, here's what Jesus knew that no one else in the crowd knew. What Jesus knew is he knew not only the amount that they gave, he knew the income from which they gave it. He knew the percentage of their income that they were giving, not just the amount. Now, here's this big principle of the day. This is, this is our big idea, is that God measured generosity based on a percentage, not on an amount. God measures generosity based on a percentage, not an amount. See, we mess this up all the time because we get caught up in amounts. We hear about somebody who gives $500,000 to build an orphanage or someone who gives a million dollars to a university or Bill Gates, who is clearly one of the most generous people in the world. You know, that he gives $50 million for HIV prevention and AIDS treatment. And large amounts make headlines in America. But large amounts are not headlines in heaven. God's headlines are always dominated by percentages not amounts. This is throughout scripture, that whatever you decide to give, God knows exactly the percentage of your income that you gave, because God measures generosity based on a percentage, not on an amount. But maybe Matthew says at this time, Jesus, they gave $10,000. Can you believe that? I mean, that's generous. They must be a philanthropist. Yeah, but but they were given $500,000 of income to manage last year. Hey, math whiz, what percentage is $10,000 out of $500,000? Well, Jesus, that'd be 2%. Okay, good job, good job. Now, Matthew, what percentage is two mites divided by two mites? Well, that's 100%. Right. What's bigger, 2% or 100%? And I think the disciples were just amazed because, like us, they had judged incorrectly. Now, here's how this applies to us. Here's how this applies to you and me. Because I know some of you, you don't make a lot of money. You just don't. But you faithfully tithe 10% of your income to God, believing that it belongs to him and it honors him. And there's probably times where you push that push pay button or you write the check or you look at your giving statement and you say, how can God use such a small amount? And I want you to know that God never looks at your gift like that because he knows what it represents. God doesn't look at amounts. God looks at percentages. And on the flip side, there's some of you who have been blessed with a lot of wealth. God has blessed you with the ability to earn and make lots of money. And you might feel really good when you write a large check. And inside, I mean, you would never say this, but you kind of go, man, if people knew how big this check was, they would be impressed. Because we get impressed with large numbers. But I'm telling you, God is not impressed with amounts. God is never impressed with numbers. He never looks at your check, no matter how many zeros it has on it, and God doesn't go, whoa, that's a big one. Because God owns it all. It all belongs to God. So with all of that as the background, with all that as the background, let me share with you the most important and strategic financial decision I've ever made. And I didn't make it when I was 40 years old. And I didn't make it when I was 30 years old or 20 years old. I made this decision when I was 11 years old. And before you laugh at me, let me tell my story. 
and then you can judge for yourself. It actually started when I was about five. Because when I was five years old, I began getting an allowance every Friday, and it was big. I mean, we were rich in my house, and so it was 50 cents every Friday. It was a big deal, and I loved Fridays. I don't want to take too much credit, but I might have been the person who actually coined, thank God it's Friday, because Friday was a big deal in my house. And from the time that I got an allowance, and here's a lesson for those of you who are parents. This is something that we did as parents as well. My dad sat down with me, and he taught me. He says, everything you have comes from God. He's five years old. He says, we honor God with the first 10% of our money. And so you're going to get an allowance, and you honor God with the first 10%. And he paid me in nickels. So he could say, okay, here's 10 of them. This first one goes back to God. And I grew up giving a tithe to God. But at 11 years old, I got my first job. I, I delivered newspapers to the 100 houses that were closest to my house. Now, half of you don't even know what a newspaper is. And so ask somebody old later on today, and they'll tell you what a newspaper is. But I got up at 4.30 every morning to deliver papers to all of my neighborhood houses, and I made $35 a week. And in my family, when you got a job, you stopped getting allowance. As soon as you got a job. And so this was the first time that I had actually earned my own money. And I had a decision to make. Because it was easy to give 10% back when my dad gave me allowance, said, okay, part of this goes back to God. Okay, dad, whatever. I'll do that. But this was money that I'd worked hard for. In fact, I'm 11 years old. I'm in sixth grade, getting up at 4.30 in the morning. My mom tells me I was falling asleep in class because I was so tired until I kind of got adjusted to this new schedule. But I made a decision that day that I was going to honor God with the first 10% of what he gave me. And from that $35 I made every week to the $19,000 I made in my first job all the way to today, I've honored God with giving at least 10% of all of my sources of income. Now, I can tell you that there are areas in my life where I can tell you I, I've not fully honored God at certain periods of my life in certain ways. But in this area, in this area, I think I have honored God in this area better than any other area of my life. And my parents just helped me learn that God blesses and honors this because God measures generosity by a percentage, not an amount. And the starting places for, follower of, for followers of Jesus is to return the tithe or to return 10%. Because God teaches us either we return the tithe to him or God tells us that we're robbing from him. It's our decision. 10% is the starting place. And we believe in this principle of percentage giving that we practice this as a church. That as a church, we use our budget to meet the needs of the people here. We provide a place of worship. We provide pastors. We provide ministries. We fund all of those things. And then we take at least 10% of what's given here, and we give it to compassion projects both locally and globally. This summer, we're actually going to highlight some of those local compassion projects that your money goes to. And we give it away globally. We give it away to places like Cambodia and Japan and Mexico and Ecuador and Dominican Republic and India and on and on. We have given millions of dollars away over the years. And as a result, we've been able to build churches and schools and orphanages and safe houses for girls who have been rescued out of sex slavery. We've dug clean water wells, provide water, clean water for entire villages, and so much more. And as a result, 
As a, as a result, we've seen God's blessing on this church over and over. Moving into this building, starting the Southeast Campus, our staff, God has been ridiculously generous to this church. And we believe this so much that the members of our elder board, the, the elders are a group of volunteers who oversee, they govern, and help shepherd our church. They all have to be tithers. And you go, why? Because we would never ask you to do something that we are not doing. And I want God's blessing on our leadership. I don't want people leading this church that aren't under God's full blessing because God measures generosity based on a percentage, not an amount. And God promises that when we do this, that he will throw open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing in our life. And you go, well, how does that blessing come? Well, sometimes it happens financially. Sometimes you receive a check in the mail you weren't even expected. That happened to me last week. Sometimes your stuff just lasts longer. Some of you have a car that you wish would just die, but it just keeps going on and on. God says, I'm going to keep this thing going for you. And you're going, please, God, no. You know, sometimes it's just protection. God protects you from a financial storm. It's in different ways. Most of us make more money than we ever thought that we would make. And here's the trap. Here's the trap that we get into. When it comes to spending our money, we ask, what is the most that I can spend and still be okay? But when it comes to giving, we ask, what's the least that I can give and still be okay? Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, for everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. See, this is true in every part of our life, but Jesus is talking about money right here. The context is money. And in this teaching, God has given you a measure of wealth. You have a tremendous responsibility. Even greater than everyone else, the more that you've been given, the more responsibility that you have. Here's what's interesting. Studies show that the more money we make, the less that we actually give. It's the people who make less actually give more percentage-wise away than those of us who make more. So I was praying about how to end this financial freedom series. How do we end this and kind of bring this to a conclusion? And I started thinking about the day that I made the most important and strategic financial decision of my life. And I started thinking, what if this could be the day that that happened for many of you. You know, what if you made the most important and strategic financial decision of your life today? And maybe you're out there, maybe you're 11 years old like I was. Or maybe you're 15 or 16, or maybe you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. It doesn't matter. That you can make the most important financial decision of your life. And so I'm going to close this series just by giving you a challenge by giving you a 90-day tithe challenge, that I want you to put God to the test. It's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me and see if I'm not faithful in this area. And so put God to the test. Say, okay, God, I'm going to put you to the test and see if his promises that he makes in his word do not come true for you. Now, listen, if you're new to the crossing, I'm not talking to you. If you're new on the spiritual journey and you don't even know if you're a follower of Jesus, just relax. Take a deep breath. Just go, because I'm not talking to you. We're just glad you're here. I'm talking to those who call the crossing home. 
and that you're a follower of Jesus and you've trusted Jesus to lead your life. That's who I'm talking to. And some of you might be thinking, well, here's another church who's just after my money. You know, here's, here's another church. And if you feel that way, here's what I would say to you. I would say go on the 90-day tithe challenge. Just give it somewhere else. I mean, there's lots of great churches in our valley. Give it to Canyon Ridge or Hope Church or Calvary or Relentless. There's a lot of great churches. Because I just believe that God does something in us. I want something for you. I want something for you that I've experienced in my life. And one of the reasons that we stopped passing the offering bags and started doing offering boxes is because big churches get this reputation that we're after your money. And we just wanted to take that off of the table. We wanted to just get rid of that. Instead of you feeling like we were taking your money, we wanted you to be intentional about giving your money. So you have to make a decision. See, this is ultimately a discipleship issue. That you've trusted God with your eternal salvation, but you don't trust him with your money. And I would say, maybe you don't trust God. Maybe you really don't trust God. Listen, I know how this sounds to some of you. And as a pastor, I had the responsibility to teach you the full counsel of God. I can't choose to not teach a part of his word that just feels uncomfortable. And I think the majority of us, we want to honor God with our resources. We're just afraid. It just brings up all of these fears. So here's the challenge. Just for 90 days. Just take the summer and see if God will not bless you. And if he doesn't, you can check mark that off and go, clear conscience, done that, been there. Don't ever have to do that again. And if you think that I'm crazy about all this, you pick a percentage. You pick it. Just start somewhere and see if God won't start blessing your life because that's his promise. That's God's promise to you. And I believe that as we talk about these steps to financial freedom, you will never experience financial freedom until you put God first in this part of your life. In this part of your life, this is what stands in the way of some of us going, finally, finally. So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to close. We're going to pray together. Here's what I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to just say, God, every part of my life, it is all yours. Everything. God, you guide me in what I'm supposed to do. In every part of my life. In my relationships. In my job with my money, everything. God, I'm trusting you. This may be the day for some of you that you're going to surrender your life to Jesus. And we want to come alongside you and help you take those next steps with Jesus. Let's pray. God, collectively, we are submitting to you. God, we want to give you every part of our life to give it all to you. God, and for a lot of us, this is the last area, and it just seems scary. God, I pray that you would show up in a way where we know that you're involved, because you promise to get involved in our financial life when we involve you. So we're asking that you would do that. God, I pray for those who are here today that maybe they're taking steps.
towards Jesus. They're taking steps towards what it means to be a follower of Christ, to finally surrender their life to Jesus. So God, we submit and surrender all this to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.